0: Welcome to Dig in the Dharma, where we dig into the Buddhist Dharma and explore ways to bring these 2,500-year-old teachings into our lives. I'm Doug Smith of Doug's Dharma on YouTube and the Online Dharma Institute. And I'm
1: John Aaron, teacher at New York Insight Meditation Center, and mindfulness-based stress reduction teacher and teacher trainer, and founder of Space to Meditate.
0: Well, good morning, John. Good to see you, as always. Greetings, Doug. Happens to be morning right now. When we're recording. It this, is morning. So. Yes.
1: <laughs> in fact, it's it's morning, and I I I have my very white voice on this morning.
0: So
1: <laughs> I could, uh, Hold that, or we'll see where it goes. Maybe when I get excited, it'll go up. Okay, there you know. go.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, so what's on our agenda?
0: Attachment, uh, attachment, in particular, attachment to to family, uh, mm. to those close to us, our loved ones. We got a uh, a listener who was very kind bought us some coffee over on buy me a coffee which if you feel so inclined you're all welcome to do we certainly enjoy that and even better he left us a comment yeah so uh wanted to he says he he would love to hear our thoughts about attachment in particular he says his wife and and he have a six-month-old child and they've never loved anything so much in their lives i uh speaking I'm, i'm Editorializing here, I don't have children, but I can certainly... Nor do I. uh, Nor do you, uh, but uh, I can certainly understand this. So he asks, would the Buddha teach this kind of love is bad and that we're too attached, that he is too attached to his uh, child? He asks, you know, goes on to ask about any other loved ones, that this is a difficult area for many of us uh, with practicing Buddha Dharma. And I, yeah. you know, this is a, this is a, as we were mentioning before the before we started recording. This is sort of a, an evergreen topic, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've certainly done a video on this topic and uh, several podcast, years ago. Yeah, uh,
1: we've done a podcast about uh, attachment for sure, mm. and it's complicated. It's yeah, not complicated, but it's challenging.
0: Yeah, and this is sort of we're getting in. I, I want to say we're getting into the sort of deep end of the pool with this question as far as attachment goes, because there's. To my way of, I mean, there's sort of different, many, many different. You know, it's like a continuum of attachments that we have in life, and when you get to family, that's really down at the at the at the deep end. Right.
1: I mean, we could start with the fourth of the five reflections, mm. which simply states something like, "All that is near and dear to you will be lost." Yeah. And at some point, it will be lost. There's no way around that. Either you will go or what is near and dear to you will go. I certainly know people who, you know, who have lost their children um, before they've died. And, and you know, there, there can't be anything. I can't imagine anything harder than that, Yeah, uh, to be honest. And, and so of course there is deep love, really deep love or, or people, you know, I was just meeting with somebody yesterday in a, in a similar situation, not having to do with children, but his husband, you know, so there's there's grieving, as I think Sharon Salzberg said, you know, grieving is love with no place to land mm. or no one to land on. It's that kind of love. And so I don't, the Buddha was certainly not, the, the Buddha's teachings aren't saying, oh, you shouldn't love anyone. <laughs> I mean, you know, in an, in, in an attached, you know, an, an intimate attached love relationship. The question of it, love versus attachment, I think, is is sort of the key here. What does it mean to be attached?
0: Yeah, that's that's key, I think. Here,
1: yeah. And the second noble truth is, of course, talking about it, clinging. I don't think attachment finds its way in a translation of the second noble truth, does it?
0: Well, craving. I mean, it's it's tanha, craving. Um, right. Uh, right. Which, which you is know. Different. Is well, it's related. It's directly, yeah. I would say, related to attachment. It's, you know, it's the kind of thing that, it's this kind of identification, the way that we identify. We spread ourselves out over the world, over one of the places we spread ourselves out most thickly is to, to family. You know, we identify with our family. We, you know, want them to, to sure, to do things. <laughs> we <laughs> want them to be a certain way.
1: Yeah. And so that that can go in 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 unhealthy directions, or it can go in a healthy direction. Mm-hmm. And I think at the time we realize, you know, so so what? When do we realize it's in an unhealthy direction? You know, it's like, in other words, if if we are so attached to our spouse or our <clears throat> child that our identity is linked to that, then maybe that's not so healthy yeah um which you know doesn't mean you don't love the child <laughs> but it means something has gone a little over the top and it's it's um i mean i i will say when i was growing up you know i grew up uh, my my formative years were in a relatively small town and i'm almost embarrassed to say this but <laughs> when i was in high school i started in fiddler on the roof ah cool and uh you know it was, it was really fun uh it was a small enough school that I I will say that, and it was in rural New Hampshire. And uh, while I was, you know, acting wise, I was certainly qualified for the role. I also happened to be the only Jew in the school. So um, (laughs) they had no choice. No, they, they had a choice. Anyway, so after that, it's like whenever, like my mom would go shopping, Oh, you're John's mom. You know, it was always like that identification, right? Mm. They were identified... You know, people were identifying them with me as opposed to, you know, me being... You know, but that was kind of light-hearted and, and um, uh, my, you know, they weren't attached to me for, for what I was doing. You know, they were happy that I was happy and that they were happy, you know, that made them happy. And so can, you know, So so this idea of being... In it, to having that experience of love that is, is far greater than anything else you've loved, like uh, loving of your child, mm. uh, that that to me isn't at all unhealthy. It it would only lead to suffering if your whole identification is is based on that. Naturally, though, if the child is lost, you're going to suffer, and and that's human. And of course, you know, we can also relate this you know, the fact that the Buddha left his child before he was the Buddha.
0: Yeah, well, he, um, yeah, she was, I guess his, I don't remember if his child was born at the time, I, was it? Well, who knows, yeah. but
1: the story is that the child was born, I yeah. think, and, you know, there's, you know the, there's a lot of, some people find real a real problem with that you know, he abandoned his family but it also wasn't that unusual back in those days well
0: that's I what i was going to say is that there yeah. was and and i think this is an a, an important thing to at least get some historical context on and to try to see a little bit of the early tradition there is that within indian culture at the time and even i think to a to an extent even today there's this idea that the the person who's looking for some kind of liberation, final liberation, is going to leave their family. Um, they're not going to do it from within a family atmosphere. I mean, they're going to either literally leave the family, or they're going to search for this at a time in their lives when they're old enough that they right. can you know, leave the family without too much disruption. Yeah, so I mean, the Buddha, of course, he wasn't the Buddha at the time, as you say. I mean, he was... Not enlightened, and that's important to keep in mind. Yeah. he was just a sort of you know quote unquote at least you know in the early tradition, he was sort of a quote unquote ordinary person, but you know somebody with a real desire to 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 find this kind of liberation and in order to do that, he felt he had to leave his family because there was just too much attachment there and you know then later on he said in, in a number of suttas that you know that he recommended people to join the monastic order if they really wanted to attain a liberation because the the lay life was a, i think you used the word dusty kind of existence where you know your the dust got in your eyes it was difficult difficult to pursue the you know this kind of complete liberation from within that context which doesn't mean you can't do a lot from within a lay context and certainly a lot of people did even within the buddha's lifetime sure yeah. but you Know if you wanted to sort of go that complete distance, it was he, he, he recommended you la- leave that behind,
1: yeah. And you know, so even now, I mean, people who go into who, who decide to follow that path and into a monastic order often wait until their families are if they have a family and wait, t- wait till the family you know can take care of itself or where the kids have left the nest or whatever, right? And so there's not There are situations that I know of where people have done that. Um, You know, Pema Chodron is a Mm -hmm. she's a grandmother, Mm -hmm. Um, and there there are any number of others that there are. Of course, not all monastic traditions require celibacy. There are monastics that are married and you know live with their wives uh, in in some traditions, and so there's no, you know, it doesn't will will having a child. And having a family obstruct the possibility of awakening—that's a completely debatable point. I don't think it's like it, you know. It, and and we're we're not ones to, to even answer that question. But the other aspect of it, that, that um, you know, there's the famous the mustard seed sutta um, of the young woman who's you know just grief stricken because she lost her young child, and of course, 2,500 years ago, you know. Childhood mortality was nothing unusual. It was, you know, people lost kids all the time. And regardless, the Buddha said, well, why don't you go to every family and ask them if they've lost someone? Bring back a mustard seed for every family that hasn't.
0: And he's going to make a potion to, to, to cure yeah. her of her illness yeah. of sadness if, he, yeah. if she can find somebody.
1: And uh, so naturally, of course, she didn't. <laughs> Uh, at least according to the sutta, (laughs) you know? And so, you know, she, she, she realized that, you know, that was life basically. That doesn't mean she, he didn't chide her for being sad or grieving. I mean, it was just like recognizing that these are realities. So going back to that fourth uh, of the five reflections, if in fact you, you, accept that everything that is near and due to you will be lost then while it's here you love it as much as possible as much as you can you know but no no at the same time it could be gone the next day that's actually quite remarkable because it's a reminder that oh yeah you better you know it's just here here's this young child i I need to love this child as much as possible
0: because something could happen Right. And there's also the, I mean, uh, difference that we were mentioning earlier between sort of attached and um, non-attached love, which I think is a a critical thing to keep in mind, because there's so often love is understood as, you know, you do something for me and I do something for you kind of thing, uh, where it's sort of manipulative, Whereas a sort of a more pure, non-attached love is that you want the the other person to be happy, no matter what they do, uh, right. and if as long as they're happy, then that's fine with you. You know, as long as they're doing well and happy and all the rest, then that's great. And that's a more I, I think of that as a more non-attached sort of love that's perhaps a little bit healthier for everybody involved.
1: Yes. A six-month-old, <laughs> which will soon become a, by the time this heirs might become a seven-month-old, you want to make as happy as possible. You want to see being happy, but also when the child isn't happy, you know, you do everything that you can to make it happy. At the same time, you know, you also want it to want a child, to, you know, to, to act wholesomely.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And if a, if a child acts unwholesomely for whatever reason – you know, then how do you work with, you know, how do you, how do you handle that? You don't stop loving the child, right? That's unattached love. You, you love the child regardless. And if it starts to, to act in a way that is not in your, you know, not in, in a common context, one of wholesomeness, you know, how do you work with that? Do you take it personally, it's my fault the child isn't doing that way or is it something else mm. there's so many conditions involved here you know when when the relationship turns in a particular way how do you work with it and that would be the situation with a child or with a, another loved one as well i mean with parents and, and spouses and certainly if if your identity is so linked up with the relationship that when the relationship shifts, you feel lost. Then there's something unhealthy there. Yeah. Um, not that you might not feel lost for a day or two, or, or even a week or more, you know. But at some point, and it's sad. Uh, I, I I remember also a situation where an, uh, an older friend of mine, who I met actually on who's no who's no longer with us, I met while. Uh, he offered a ride up to um, the Insight Meditation Society on one of my first retreats that I went on. <clears throat> and he had lost his wife recently. Ten years later, he still hadn't gotten over the death of his wife. Oh. Or even five years later. Well, five years later. And and um, I mean, I knew that I had introduced him to my mom and they weren't living in the same town, but they had a lot in common and, and they really, you know, liked each other. But, you know, he just couldn't let go of, of the wife that had died And when my mom died, I we had this trove of communication that they had with each other, Mm. and yet it never developed because he never developed beyond that because he just couldn't let go. And even when I went to see him, you know, he had all the things out that reminded him of his wife. And and we've all you know seen these situations, of course, and it's 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 lovely in many ways, but you know when you still have a number of years left. You're gonna, you know, by not letting go, there's suffering that uh, evolves and uh, or can. Mm-hmm. You know, you're never going to be happy.
0: Well, yeah, and it reminds me uh, the our questioner also referenced the 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 second arrow in yeah. his in his question, which we had. I didn't I didn't uh, get into. We haven't gotten into. And there's uh, a very famous sutta that he's referring to of the two arrows where. The Buddha basically says that uh, that all of us have to deal with the first arrow of right. actual sort of you know suffering. Let's say physical suffering in particular. Perhaps we have to all of us deal with a certain amount of mental suffering as well. That's debatable, mm-hmm. <laughs> but mental pain. Mental pain. Yeah. That's right. That's a, that's a better way to put it. Mental pain. But there's this uh, there's this second arrow, which is the The mental suffering the lamentation the you know the going over and over it the 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 obsessive mental qualities that bring this pain back and back to mind in any number of different contexts we might feel responsible for it so we just keep beating ourselves up over it we may whatever i mean there are many different ways we can do that um and it's what the buddha says basically is that you know, even enlightened beings, even himself, he himself has to deal with the first arrow. Uh, let's say physical suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, but that what enlightenment does, what what the what the practices do, is to reduce and eventually eliminate that second arrow of of suffering, of mental tribulation, of mental obsessive thinking, and that's what comes to mind when you talk about somebody who sort of can't let go of you know something like a death of a yeah a, a loved one for and and of course there's going to be degrees I mean sure. you know any of us who've lost somebody dear were were you know there's mm-hmm. always going to be that residual sadness of you know yeah. I'm sorry I've lost them but obviously we're talking about we're talking about degrees here is it something that's obsessive is it something that's getting away in, in the way of our lives. Like you said, with this, uh, with this guy, um, it seemed to be getting in the way of his moving forward, and that's a problem.
1: Yeah. I mean, the grieving—and, you know, grieving is a process. Yeah. So mm-hmm. like, when you lose someone, there's, there's no reason to rush that process. Mm. And yet, it's like—and and then, you know, uh, and the beautiful thing about about that kind of love, the unattached love, is that, you know, so you, loo- you lose someone— and then you know, after a number of years, maybe one moves on with their life, hopefully. But still, things come up that remind you of that person that you've lost, mm. and you know, and that's actually a beautiful thing because there's there's the reminder of that, there's the, the there's the feeling of the love that arises when when something rem- it reminds you of that that person, whether it's a spouse or a child or just a dear friend there's something that's moved the heart is moved Mm -hmm. and that's beautiful yeah you know how how fortunate that you have that kind of love in your life right you know and 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 so that's very different than this oh i can't stand the loss of this you know it's like "Mm." and uh yeah
0: i mean it depends how you can hold that and if you can hold it as something beautiful and and beneficial in your life, then mm-hmm. I think it makes a huge difference rather than holding it as something that's, you know, terrible and 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 sad. You know, yeah. I mean, I think those yeah. are two really different framings.
1: Yeah, um,
0: I'm just what came to mind also is uh, something else from the early tradition where I, there's not a lot of literal death of important people spoken about in the early tradition, except for the Buddha himself, of course. But the Buddha does go through the death of of uh, of Buddha. Sariputta and Moggallana, yeah. um, his two most important disciples, uh, who predeceased him, and I think one can read the early texts and and believe that he seemed to think they probably would outlive him, at least in some, you know, there's sort of hints of that there and, here and there, so that it was a surprise when both of them died, and they they died within a short period of each other. And I remember there's uh, there's a sutta where he talks about where the Buddha sort of g- gets in front of the sangha and talks about it. He says it's like the, I think he says the largest tree in the forest had lo- lost its two largest limbs, mm-hmm. which is a very poignant metaphor. Yeah, and I think expresses. Uh, I mean, I think I you know looking to him, looking to the the person of the Buddha as reflected in these texts as sort of reflecting what somebody who is enlightened might might actually say and that i think it does reflect some kind of you know a real deep awareness of the you know the sadness involved in losing important people yeah
1: so sadness grief these are healthy (laughs) you know and and wholesome and i think the the inquiry you know is what does attachment mean to you in a sense? I mean, there's that, you know, what does it, what does it mean that you're attached to someone and is, is that, you know, how are you identifying with this being? How would it feel to lose this being? And just, you know, reflecting on the fact that at some point the that being is gonna be lost anyway, in one way or another. Mm-hmm. For the gentleman that wrote this, you know, in terms of like the teachings themselves, There's no contradiction here. If, you know, you just keep in mind the difference between attached love and true love, you can say. Mm -hmm. Clearly the the love of your six-month-old is true love. I mean, there's no, you know, it comes from any number of places. When it becomes attached love, you'll probably know it. (laughs) If it becomes attached love, I should say, you know, hopefully it won't, but uh, you'll know the difference. And, and people may even, you know, in their own relational history may recognize the difference between those relationships that evolved in a, in a kind of attached codependent way, Mm. how, how how that, how that's different than true love. Hopefully our practice helps us see that
0: clearly. Mm -hmm. So I hope that's helpful. I want to repeat what I said at the beginning, which is this is, this is, T- complicated and difficult. We can deal with attachment in our lives in ways that are a little bit simpler and easier to see. uh Oftentimes, when we're dealing with family, there's a lot of threads there. That uh especially, you get together with lots of family, and and things come up, and sure, you know, I think w- I, any of us who've practiced for any period of time, you sort of think, oh, I'm I'm in a good place right now, and then you go, <laughs> you meet with your family, like, oops, okay, no, <laughs> right, yeah, I'm still I'm still too it, you know, attached in various ways. That I didn't realize,
1: and that also brings in expectation and all sorts of other things. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, when your six months becomes ten years old, and you have expectations, and those expectations aren't there, Mm -hmm. then you'll discover, you know, what's what.
0: Right, right, yeah, and and how you frame whatever it is your ethical living that you you know that you think that your child should should do. I mean, that's a huge place of practice too we all, again we should want our children and all of our loved ones to be happy and we all, many of us believe that you know there's a direct relationship between behaving you know in an ethical and a good way and being happy but then there's this you know there's this vague middle ground of you know <laughs> <laughs> what are we what are we really talking about where families will really break up because you know or or, or or, or or kick somebody out because they yeah. think so, some kind of behavior is not ethical yeah. when it makes them, ha- when it makes the child happy and lots of, lots of tough things to keep in mind.
1: <laughs> to be continued.
0: Yeah. Too much here. <laughs> okay.
1: Friends. So thanks for listening. And until next time, stay well, stay well. And yeah. Keep those questions coming.
0: Yeah. And remember, uh, we enjoy coffee, like we mentioned at the beginning. So,
1: <laughs> supports us. Supports, supports us. Yeah. All right. Be well.
0: Thanks so much, John. Take care.
1: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on your podcast directory. And please check us out at diginthedharma.com, where you can leave a comment, buy us a coffee, and even become a member. You can find out more about me, John Aaron, at johnaran.net and Doug at dougsdharma.com.